Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 98. Tales from the Loop interview. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Mike and Dave with you here once again. And we have an interview edition, and it's going to be the last one. As if you joined our Facebook group, you'll notice that Den of Geek is kind of phasing out podcasts and, you know... It is what it is, Dave, right? We're going to transition into some maybe some video content or get some other ways to get the content out there, but it's been a good run. Oh, it has been. And we were sort of a test case for Den of Geek anyway. And, you know, we've been on uh, the website for four years now. It looks like we're going to get to episode 100 and that'll be it. And am I correct in thinking this is the second podcast we've done together that ended exactly at 100? Oh, no. It just happens to be the second one to reach 100. I think we went to like 108 or something with Continuum, but... <laughs> well, I was thinking the Sandbox. But... Oh, the Sandbox also went past 100, I think. Oh, okay. So. But so I guess that's three. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that Dave and I have enjoyed doing together. And we'll probably find some way to continue working together, certainly. But it just won't be in this particular form. It's kind of strange because we did a lot of work behind the scenes uh, publicizing not only this podcast, but other podcasts on Den of Geek. And for whatever reason, they just never took off. And, you know, that's fine. I mean, there's a lot of competition out there. And we've enjoyed our small but loyal audience, as I think they said on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., speaking of that show. (laughs) Well, yeah. And in terms of statistics for downloads for a podcast... In the genre sci-fi podcast world, we did pretty well with Sci-Fi Fidelity, but we're you know part of a bigger network here with Den of Geek, and they're running a business. And like you said, you know they liked what we did, and things are going to change a little bit, and we're open to change. Right behind the scenes, Den of Geek had a lot of changes, and they uh, revamped the website, combined the UK and the US offices. So you know they were looking to make some changes, and We just didn't happen to come along for the ride, but you'll still see us on the site and out there in general. And I think that this particular show is an interesting one to have our last interview with because Tales from the Loop is definitely a show unlike any other. And Dave, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to even look at it yet, but it's an anthology series that takes place all in the same town. So all the stories are separate but also related in some way. And I thought that was a pretty cool idea for a series. Well, oh, I haven't seen it, as, as you said, but I have certainly read enough about it. And on the one hand, we're seeing a lot of anthology series that are making their way into our homes. But as you said, this one's got a different twist to it. And I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, alternate history universe. I'm kind of liking what I'm reading. <laughs> exactly. And I think what really became very popular for a lot of folks is the fact that it was based on some paintings by a Swedish artist 
named Simon Stalinhag, and they're kind of like Norman Rockwell paintings, combining everyday life with science fiction elements. And they're quite interesting if you see them out there. They, they made their way around social media for a while. So Nathaniel Halpern, who we're going to talk to, he's the showrunner. He took these paintings as inspiration, almost as story starters. You look at the painting and you think, what would this have been about that we're looking at? And that's, what, that's how he built his stories. So Tales from the Loop is an anthology series where all the stories take place in the town of Mercer, Ohio, whose main employer is the Mercer Center for Experimental Physics, which houses a particle accelerator underground. And Jonathan Price kind of anchors this series as Russ Willard. He's the founder of the facility known as The Loop. And many of the stories center around the Willard family, uh, but also other people in the town have their stories as well. Now, we have a double feature here. We're going to be talking to Nathaniel Halpern, who's the showrunner, but also Paul Schneider, who plays George Willard, the son of the founder. And you're going to hear a little bit about his character and how he fits into the overall story. But Nathaniel Halpern got a good start in genre TV, having written episodes of The Killing, which Dave and I podcasted about briefly, and Resurrection. Plus, he was the story editor on one of Dave's favorites, Outcast on Showtime. Yeah, one of those shows that just kind of disappeared after two seasons and <laughs> yeah. we never got a formal cancellation, no message about anything. So yeah, as you said, I really enjoyed Outcast. But it was actually his writing gig on Legion, which we talked about on this podcast, that really garnered him the most attention and allowed him to grab the reins as showrunner and executive producer and writer of all eight episodes, actually, of Tales from the Loop. And then Paul Schneider, most people like me probably saw him for the first time on Parks and Recreation, in which he played Mark Brandanowitz, Leslie Nope's first workplace infatuation. He kind of disappeared after a few seasons, but he also got our attention as the main character in the first season of another season by season anthology series, Sci-Fi's Channel Zero. And like I said here, he plays George Willard, who's the son of the patriarch of The Loop, and he's got a lot of interesting things to share. We'll start off the, the interview, though, with Nathaniel Halpern, who will tell us a little bit about the show. And this part of the interview actually took place long enough ago that I actually wasn't familiar even with the show yet. So he's basically speaking to me as a neophyte many weeks ago. So you'll get exposed to the show that way. And then Paul will tell you a little bit about more of the nitty gritty. All right, we're here with Nathaniel Halpern, who is executive producing and writing all the episodes and show running Tales from the Loop, which is coming to Amazon. Welcome to the podcast, Nathaniel. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before we get into the premise for the show, we should mention that the inspiration for it comes from both an alternate history science fiction tabletop role-playing game, which we'll talk about in a minute, but also the art of Simon Stalinhag, which... I call him the Norman Rockwell of sci-fi art. <laughs> what can uh -huh. you tell us about your experience with the art before the development of the series? Uh, yeah, it was interesting. That was the first thing I was exposed to. And I think like a lot of people that see Simon's work, I was just immediately struck by the aesthetic and the world and more than anything, the feeling of it, the, the genre elements aside, I just related to it. It felt very emotional and reminded me of childhood. And then, Later, when I met Simon, and we ended up talking about our childhoods within five minutes of, of meeting each other. So there's just, just a wonderful universal quality to his imagery that I really wanted to 
use and there's also the fun of the genre element that kind of ventures in the fantastical but the uh the norman rockwell of science fiction is is a <laughs> is a nice um way to describe him i've also thought of edward hopper with um a little bit of uh, science fiction there as well now is it accurate to say that his art is supposed to evoke a feeling and suggest its own story to the person looking at it without actually giving you those details i mean that's how i felt about it yeah, I'd say absolutely. So that was it was an interesting exercise in making the show. And when Simon and I talked early on of just making it personal, it was a unique experience to look at the artwork and essentially use it as a prompt for what story comes to my mind as I look at this. And that served as the basis for the storytelling in the show and just having a purely visual inspiration rather than usually the adaptation from a, a book or something where you have a narrative already laid out. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of The Mysteries of Harris Burdick. Yes. By yeah, Chris Van Allsburg. <laughs> yeah, great reference. Yeah. Well, now, Tales from the Loop, as I mentioned, is also an RPG centered around a town built on top of a particle accelerator with a group of kids who experience the weird side effects of that circumstance. Is the show also going to be centered around the kids, as they're called? Well, uh, I'll be honest, I actually have no exposure to the role playing game. Um, okay, okay. Just because just because I wanted this to be not influenced by it in terms of those narratives, so I've never I've I've kind of cautiously avoided it. But the, I I'm faithful, I think, in the same way probably the role playing game is in that there is a sense of childhood in Simon's work and seeing the world through those eyes, and so uh, a fair amount of the storytelling does have children in it. I wouldn't call it overly children-centric in terms of the storytelling, but there certainly is a fair representation of, of stories about children and walking through this world. Well, now, do you have a series of different storylines, different things, different phenomena that happen because of the particle accelerator and, in a sense, able to tell different stories the same way the paintings did? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because uh, at the inception of this, it really was, how do you keep that sense of wonder alive in the series in the way that when you look from painting to painting in Simon's world, it almost feels like there's a new sense of possibility with each one versus getting kind of too used to those fantastical elements. So the structure of the series is, it's, it's tough to think of a reference point on television, but essentially it's not an anthology, but Every episode is this standalone story oh. with its own sci-fi element. But all in all, these characters are in each other's lives and we loosely follow one family. So if you watch all of them, obviously there's these emotional payoffs of following these characters. But you could just watch one and not be lost. And what I found is the benefit of that is you never get too used to the um, the sci-fi element. There's a new thing to keep you on your toes with each hour while coming back to the familiarity of a sense of place and faces that you know. Now, is there something that's going to carry through, like an underlying mythology? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's all kind of... Um, it's not like you watch one and then that's just kind of scrapped. The, um, the repercussions of every story, uh, I don't even say that in a negative way, just what the outcome is of those stories carries through. So it, it's all built in terms of the narrative of this small town. I mean, the, to make another um, reference, there's a, there's a book that I love called Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson, uh, which was written in the early 1900s, which are all these sketches of small town life. And you get to kind of know everyone that lives in that town. 
And that was certainly with a, a source of inspiration in the structuring of this. Now, it, it must have also been a lot of fun for your DP to <laughs> evoke some of the same images that appear in these paintings. Did you guys do any perfect matches, I guess, for any of the sci-fi concepts depicted in the original art? Oh, uh, yeah, we certainly did the best we could. Um, <laughs> and uh, and what was what was wonderful about shooting it was we built a fair amount of it practically and that it's not just CG. So there's this wonderful interactive element to the visuals of really recreating Simon's work right then and there. And many of it is faithful. Sometimes the season's different. That's just the reality of uh, shooting. You know, it's uh, summer instead of winter, but really using those prompts and not going too far from Simon's design. And Simon was actually a wonderful collaborator throughout. And I would, I would send him an email and be like, what do you think this should look like? Cause um, I just didn't want to tinker too much with his aesthetic. And so almost like um, Geiger on Alien. He really was an invaluable uh, design source. Now, I'm not going to ask you to describe a specific uh, element from the story to avoid spoilers, but do you have a favorite of Simon's work that you were anxious to use in the show? Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> like, for example, I like the one that has the um, the giant robot with the wires connected to all his little automatons <laughs> with their little red oh. eyes. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I really like that one, too. There, um, there, there was kind of a distinction for me in, in selecting the art and creating the reality of it. It's like uh, some of those, to me, hit on the dystopian quality. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more than the show. The show has a little bit more of a, a hopeful quality. There's certainly a melancholy that runs throughout that is in Simon's work. But I, I, I try to veer a little bit away from the more dystopian imagery because I feel that's certainly represented uh, a good deal in a lot of genre pieces. And I kind of steered more into the, as you said, the, Nor- the Norman Rockwell quality of, of um, the science fiction that he does. So for instance, there's that one painting of the, uh, what seems to be a grandfather and grandson walking out to that uh, big sphere. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that one was very evocative for me and served as the basis of, of uh, an episode that's very uh, personal to me. So the kind of the mystery of, what is the function of some of these objects uh, certainly sparked my uh, attention. Now, are you still going for an eighties setting? Are you doing an alternate history aspect? What's the, what's the background of the, of the tale? Uh, Essentially the, what we'll call the present day of the, of the show in this season is 1982, but also not wanting to, the way I phrase it is not really wanting to fetishize the uh, time period. So there is a certain kind of timeless quality to the aesthetic. You know, it's 2020 and we're not all wearing clothes and driving cars from 2020. So it's it has a kind of history lived in feeling and also that it's, a, it's an international community uh, who work at the Loop. So there's just this kind of um, interesting mixture of influences, both European and American, that, that comes into the aesthetic. But does the alt history come into it at all? Is is it a different history that what we're used to reading about in the in the books? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's so localized. I mean, it certainly is because these things are walking around and exist in 1982. <laughs> but um, I, I make very little reference to pop culture throughout. So I kind of the, the hope, at least, was you know you watch it and you immerse yourself in this world that is familiar yet something alien that you can kind of go visit 
And so I felt the less I reminded us of our own timeline, the better that you could just kind of disappear into this fascinating world that Simon created. So it certainly is an alt timeline, but it's not, that doesn't serve any story purpose. And how about the physics of it? Uh, The idea that a particle accelerator could open up, you know, other dimensions and that sort of thing is a trope that I guess sci-fi fans are, are used to. But at the same time, is it something that the characters in the show are aware of and are trying to stop? Or are, is there kind of a conspiracy element to the show as well? Um, it's essentially, as you'll see in the, the first episode, it's not really a mystery show on that end. And, you know, a word like conspiracy, these are elements I kind of stepped aside from, you know, having been a fan of seeing those kind of things in science fiction before but as you said they're kind of tropes at this point here it's just how do you treat it as uh kind of normal and that okay. this is a factory town I like and <laughs> the the adults work at the factory and to the children they don't quite understand what their parents do so there's an interest there's a sense of mystery there or why is this here they know it has something to do with where their parents work beneath ground but it's not a conspiracy, really. It's really, they're all the adults walking off to the factory in the morning, and it is what it is. Well, I'll tell you, as a fan of Simon Stallenhog's work, I definitely am looking forward to this one. Thanks so much, Nathaniel, for talking to us about Tales from the Loop. We're looking forward to it coming later in the year. Oh, thank you very much. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, of course. Uh, Thanks for being interested in the series. Oh, yeah. I've seen the first couple, so so far I've really been enjoying it. And we did speak with Nathaniel Halpern back when it was kind of not really much known about it. So I'm I'm happy to follow up with you so we can get a little bit more details about the the Willard family. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird bunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, so were you familiar with uh Simon Stallenhog's work before joining the cast and and what was your reaction to it both beforehand and once you saw it come to life on set? Um no, I wasn't. Although I had a few friends, friends that are like graphic artists and when I sort of mentioned that I was doing this show, I had a couple of guys ask me like, oh, are these based on the paintings? And I was like, yeah. And they fucking bugged out. Like they were really. <laughs> and so I had to some catch up on the paintings. And I, I just really like how each painting really a snapshot, you know, like each painting is really pregnant with 
possibility and to kind of like ask you to really think about what's going to happen next or what just happened to get the painting to this specific moment that's frozen. You know, I'd never heard of a series using paintings as source material. I thought, hopefully I'm not the only one that thinks this, but like everything is so packaged right now. You know, people are writing young adult book series like just to make them into television shows or franchise, you know, movie franchises. And, you know, if everything is so, you know, if everything is so baked in, it's sort of like, you know, the consumer possibilities are so baked in. It gets, gets so tiresome. And I think the audience knows, oh, this is a massive ploy to get more money from me. And I may also be entertained at the end. Yeah. But I feel like the best films are the ones that are kind of made from source material that's not obvious, you know? Right. It provides a lot of inspiration for the writers. Yeah. And and it providing inspiration for the writers in the end provides the audience a lot of room to make their own decisions about the series and to be treated like adults and your ideas about what's going on just as much important as what the series is trying to say because there's enough air and space in the series. And of course, you've got this kind of incredible, you know, Philip Glass score kind of raining down on you. You're given all, you know, and it kind of the visuals are so evocative. You're kind of given just enough. You're given the environment to really let your imagination go without a series that's intent to make you feel certain ways. Right. And you're not coming in with expectations as well from an adaptation. Yeah. And that's a hard, I think that's a really hard sell these days. You know, I think it's, I think it's, you know, the capital investments for these, uh, for films and television series is massive. And, you know, it takes some pretty courageous people to, you know, to gamble on stories that are, really left of center and really earnest and really focused on sort of human emotions and human connections and, you know, have an optimistic inside, you know? Well, in that sense, I think it benefits from having you and uh, Jonathan Price. We've got this great family dynamic between George Willard and Russ Willard, his father. And it's not necessarily a typical father-son relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I love the fact that George has a robot arm. Yeah. <laughs> but but the thing that um, I was most attracted to in terms of his character is he's desperate to become a father that he never had. And he works at the loop and he's a physicist and you know, in many ways, he's following in his father's footsteps, and he and and that was absolutely the wrong decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's he's like the dutiful son who realizes too late that he, you know, he was following the wrong master. And one of the things that I find really interesting about character, and I think all of the audience could find something interesting about this and find something to relate to, is seeing someone 
being a father and seeing their father be a better grandfather than they were a father. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and how tragic it is when we see one of our parents or someone we love really treat someone else with respect or really someone else with care or sort of act in the way that we always wanted them to act to us, to someone else. And, you know, it's those kinds of extremely relative human emotions and human desires and human experiences that I think lock people to Tales from the Loop. And I think it was very hard of Nathaniel to use science fiction to sort of get us there and kind of open the door. And, you know, once we're in the room, then we're just sitting and talking about things that we can all relate to, like family or jealousy or wondering if your life has meaning or regret or love or whatever. And just the, um, I think desire is the wrong word, but like, we we all want to do something or be something, you know, like George wants to be something and, and he doesn't know quite what it is, but you know, we all like you and me and everyone else, like we want to, we want to do something meaningful and it's not always up to us. I mean, you know, look at the state of the world and it's not up to us. You know, there is no standalone genius. There are people in the world that are, you know, both on third base and they think they, they, they hit a triple. And, you know, it's hard to want so badly to be something or do something and have what's holding you back have nothing to do with you. And I think for George, you know, being born the son of this, this titan, and he's more like his mother, you know, he's more sensitive and he's, he's more like Clara, but he's a man, you know, maybe if he was a, maybe if he was a daughter, maybe if he was a woman, it would be different, but he was born in the mold of his mother and he couldn't have been more different. And I was really, I was really related to that part of George's struggle. And I think those are the kinds of things that everyone else will relate to. I think it's interesting too, you say, you know, people are born in other people's shadows, but I think in a sense, they also don't necessarily appreciate what's around them. Because I think what's great about this show is the understated nature of the weirdness in Mercer, Ohio, and robots standing around without really any explanation, or even your arm, the mechanical arm. What are some of the mysteries that you think the show is going to be able to tease throughout each of its episodes that the viewers are really going to latch on to? Um. I mean, to me, the real mysteries, and I like that too, like my favorite elements in movies or television shows are those moments that you know extremely expensive to film, but then we really casually view them and they're not elements um, that are trying to sell you on themselves. Right, right. You know, it's nice to give the audience a way of, you know, you see a robot in the woods as the kids are walking, let's say, and because it's not shoved in your face, you're giving the audience a moment to say, was that a robot? Like, well, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. So, like, and, and, you know, obviously, the, you know, the fact, the platforms, the way they are these days, it's great because you can, you can rewind and, and, you know, prove to yourself that that was, you know, a decrepit robot in the, in the, the woods. But, 
I like the attitude that Nathaniel's writing has about these scattered artifacts of science fiction and the attitude he has about, you know, George's robot arm. But the things that were most interesting to me in terms of like teases are the things that I think are, are actually very supernatural. Like, you know, I don't know if you're married, but like the nature of marriage is very strange, you know, Mm -hmm. it's very mysterious and the nature of childhood is really strange and serious. In fact, you know, when you're a kid, everything is serious and everything is turned up to 11. Right. <laughs> um, and so, like, to me, the real surprises in the series are going to be not surprises about science fiction, although those are beautiful and they kind of, they kind of set the stage but the real surprises for the audience are the ways that they're going to find moments where they look at the show and think, oh my God, that's just like me. Yes, yes. Or, oh my God, I, I feel that, and I've never, I feel that way, but I, I've never said it, or I feel that way, and I, I've never seen it from that perspective. And that might be your relationship with your mother or father or siblings or what you do for a living or you know, all the things that like actually matter to everyone on a Monday to Friday kind of way. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking with me. I, I enjoyed your work in Channel Zero season one, by the way. Uh, really big fan of that oh, show. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a great one. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Take it easy. Thank you. All right. So that was our interview with Paul Schneider and Nathaniel Hopburn of Tales from the Loop which is airing now on Amazon Prime. So you can actually see all eight episodes uh, having dropped on April 3rd. So that's something that you can enjoy right away during this time that many of us are spending more time at home. But I really enjoyed that because it definitely has a very literary sense, very subtle sci-fi touch, and is more about the personal dramas that take place. So it's it's a little bit slower pace, not necessarily for everyone, but I really enjoyed it. And I did see critics that were just wowed by the literary elements of the show as well. So hopefully some of our audience members will tune into that on Amazon, but we've got a show coming up uh, next, which is going to be our final show topic of sci-fi fidelity. And this will be a fun one to go out on Dave motherland Fort Salem on Freeform, And I'm having a lot of fun so far watching this. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got a lot of elements that I like the, alternate universe history kind of deal witches which you don't ordinarily see in this kind of a storyline but i'm looking forward to it as well unfortunately i have free form so i'm good to (laughs) go hopefully most of our audience has free form as well they might have to hunt around for it on their cable channel but yeah it's why it's widely available and we're going to be talking about the first two episodes at the beginning of the podcast as we usually do And even though five episodes will have aired by the time the podcast comes out, we're only going to do two additional ones in the spoiler zone. So two up front for those of you just getting exposed to it, and then two more for those of you who are following the show more religiously. And that's going to be next week on the podcast. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US, and we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. 
Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or via email to scififidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you.